morning, everyone. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. We're going to continue where we left off last week. Picking up in verse 3 to the end of the chapter. You can, uh, you can turn there now and we will read the entire chapter before we begin. So Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I... For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. And God said, Call his name Lo-Ammon, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet... The number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be, numbered, be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of, of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now that you would be pleased to bless us with the, with the power of your Holy Spirit here this morning as we come to this passage of Scripture. And I pray that you would help in, in preaching, in listening, and applying this to the hearts. Lord, we thank you for this passage and, and the, the truth that it contains concerning uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive these things and that it would be a means for the edification and and, and encouragement of your people here that would be the means for the salvation of sinners if there be any among us this morning who are not in Christ and above all Lord we ask that it would be a means to bring glory to your great and holy name and it's in Jesus name we pray amen so last week you remember we had the whiteboard up here and, and uh, looked at our the, 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 the diagram of the covenant arrangements that the Bible uh, gives to us, the, the covenantal framework which the, the Bible reveals the history of redemption through, through these covenants. So we saw um, the, the overarching covenant uh, with God's, of God's relationship with mankind in general. We call this the covenant of works, that man was created, he was put in place into a covenant with God wherein he had to obey the law of God, of his, of his creator. We saw how when God, in the Old Testament, God deals with the nation of Israel on a political outward level, has nothing to do with salvation, uh, of spiritual salvation, it's, it's a political arrangement, political covenantal arrangement between Yahweh 
their God and the nation of Israel. We saw the Abrahamic covenant teaches us about that, the covenant of grace that we find, which is the new covenant, but we have the, the, the Mosaic covenant, we call it. That's the covenant God has God made, mediated through Moses, given to the nation of Israel, wherein he places the nation of Israel in the, in the same type of works relationship, work covenant of works relationship that we are, as mankind in general is in. So Israel is now, is now um, God's special people. They're given a law, we call the Mosaic Law, which includes the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Moral Law, but it also includes all these various ceremonial laws and, and civil laws, laws to, laws to govern an outward relationship um, and an outward political people of God. A very, it's a very outward type of covenant. It's teaching us about, um, about that relationship that we have with God. But we also saw then how in, uh, in Hosea, we have another covenantal relationship that's going to teach us some more, and that's the covenant of marriage, the covenant between Hosea and his wife Gomer. And we will see that this, when we saw last time, this covenant between Hosea and Gomer is, God uses that to, to point us, to appoint the Israelites to this covenantal relationship that they are in with God, and which, when then we know that this, as I said, this, this covenantal relationship of that Israel is in with God ultimately points us to, to us and our relationship with God. We need to understand that. It's very important that we understand the, the purpose of, this, of the Mosaic Covenant. If we, because if we think, if we say, well, that just has to do with God and Israel, that's something that I don't need to worry about, I don't need to consider, then we're going to read the book of Hosea and we're going to be left thinking, just, just observing observing Israel, condemning Israel, you're right, you know, Israel, you're sinners, and you broke that law, and, and you deserve to go into exile, and, and that's probably, you know, about where we would, um, where we would leave it. Perhaps we'd be looking for some sort of future restoration um, for Israel, as, as, as promised here, but we, but the, the purpose of the covenant is not, is not for that. The purpose of the covenant is to point us to ourselves to show us about our relationship with God. We have, we need to be looking at ourselves and thinking, yeah, we've broken the covenant of God. We've broken his law, just like Israel did. We violated it. We were exiled. We're cut off from God with no access to him, exiled out of the, out of the, uh, the relationship with him. And, but then we'll also see as we get to the end of the chapter, this promise of restoration, this promise that for Israel, they, there was, they were going to be returned from exile. There was a restoration of that, where they would again would get to come back and dwell in the in this uh, Eden-like paradise. I think it's in Ezekiel thirty-six when it, he's talking about the restoration in Ezekiel. He says it's going to be like it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. You know, so yes, it's talking about them returning to the promised land, but um, but that teaches us that there is a way. For us to return and to have access to God again, which we know is through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's that's how we need to understand the covenantal arrangements in the Bible, so that we see how it applies to us. Now, God instructs, as we saw, instructs uh, Hosea to enter into this marriage covenant with a wife, with Gomer, and but God gives him that warning, just just like. 
just like Israel, she's going to be unfaithful to that covenant. She's going to become a prostitute. She's going to, she's going to, and, and then she's going to end up having children as a result of that. Children that are not his. Children that are not connected to him. Cut off. Disconnected from, uh, from Hosea. And as we go through, we'll see Hosea is going to, uh, he's going to divorce her and her children. He's going to, he's going to um, divorce them, cut them off, essentially. But then he's going to have compassion on her. Again, that, 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 the, the, that love that husband has for his wife, that nurturing, that caring. He's going to have compassion on her and for the children. And then he's going to buy her back from those who, who, uh, who she sold herself into and he's going to make her his wife again. They're going to have that relationship. It's going to be restored. So that's where we sort of left off last time. Today we're going to look now more at this marriage relationship in detail here, and then this, the promise of restoration. So the verses three through nine is this uh, is the is the marriage relationship and the, and the falling apart of this relationship. Verse ten and eleven is the promise of restoration. So, last time I, we left off in verse 2, I said that, that when it says here, God, God tells Hosea, take yourself a wife of harlotry, and argue that, that she, he is not instructed to go down to the street corner and, and find somebody who's prostituting there and take her and marry her. Several reasons for that. One, that would have been against the, the law, um, for one. It would have been wrong for him to do that. Uh, secondly, it would have... Um, we saw that the, uh, the the next line, the children, he says, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Well, that's obviously talking about something in the future. So I think, you know, given the, the context there, we can say the wife, you know, she's going to be, um, she's going to be a harlot in the future. She's going to be unfaithful to you. Be aware of this, Hosea, but that's not how it's going to um, going to start. And then the third reason for that is because because of the covenantal parallel that we're getting here of, a, of God entering into a relationship and then the relationship being broken, this is the same thing. So, Go, so Gomer is, is the, the relationship is starting off good. It's a normal healthy, uh, healthy marriage. And, but then it's going, to, uh, it's going to fall apart. And we'll see that once we, once we get going here. So verse 3, he, he went and he takes Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. The Bible doesn't really tell us any more about who Diblaim might be, who Gomer is. Um, there, but we have to, we have to, more to follow up to my, to my, um, to the, to the point that she's not a harlot when she, she's not a prostitute when he marries her. It says because she conceived and she bore him a son. So very clear here that he is the father of this, uh, of this son. This relationship starts off as a good, as a good, healthy marriage. Hosea knows he knows Gomer in in that intimate way. Remember that's how the Bible. Bible uses that language for, for sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife. Cain knew his wife. Abraham knew his wife. It's that sexual intimacy. Hosea knows Gomer. Gomer knows Hosea in, in, in that intimate sense. Remember the parallels for the covenant of works. God created Adam in his image, and he created him with a true and with an intimate knowledge of his creator. Same, the same. There's nothing. There's nothing sexual. Let's not mix that up in any in any way um, here. But it's it's the, the the intimate knowledge of his of his creator. The knowledge 
of the character of God. And, and he was to live in accordance with that knowledge of, um, of God as an image bearer. He, the knowledge of good and evil. He was supposed to live in accordance with that. He was supposed to live in, in obedience to God's law. Just like Gomer is, is, has the, the knowledge of Hosea and she's supposed to be faithful to that. Just like Israel on Mount Sinai, they entered into this covenantal relationship with God and it started out on good terms and they were given the law very clearly. They knew, and they had the knowledge of God, the knowledge of what God required of them in, uh, in this relationship. He, he gave them the, the, the law. They had the knowledge of that. That's, so that's how things start out here for Hosea and Gomer. As a result of this, they have a son. And God then tells Hosea, what to name his son, and the name of that, of that son has significant meaning uh, and warning for the nation of Israel. Verse 4 and 5, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So, he named his son Jezreel, and God gives the reason for that, because he's going to avenge the bloodshed of Jehu's uh, dynasty, the bloodshed of Jezreel, which the bloodshed that took place at Jezreel by Jehu and on his, in his dynasty. So remember um, uh, Jeroboam, who we find in verse one, is the king of Israel at the time. He is the uh, the fourth, uh, yes, the fourth in the in the line of from Jehu, and, um, and 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 this dynasty is then going to come to an end. Um, he tells us here, because of what Jehu did. So what did Jehu do at Jezreel? 2 Kings uh, chapter 9 and 10 contain the story here. So we have Joram. He was the king of Israel. He was the son of Ahab. We're probably quite familiar with Ahab, a very wicked king who married Jezebel, a very wicked queen. And Joram was the son of Ahab. And God sends Elisha, the prophet, to Jeroboam, who's mentioned here, uh, sorry, to Jehu, um, he's, he sends him to Jehu, he anoints him and says, Yahweh has instructed you to go and to destroy the dynasty of Ahab. This was, this was what was promised to Ahab and Jezebel because of their wickedness, that their entire dynasty would be wiped off the face of the earth, as would Jezebel. And that is exactly what Jehu did in a very bloody massacre in the valley of Jezreel. Now, a lot, of, a lot of commentators have a problem with it. They're, they're, they wrestle with this. What, what's going on here? Why? Because God specifically told him and specifically said, you're anointed by Yahweh to go and to do this, to carry out my plan to destroy uh, the, this dynasty of Ahab. And, and, and now it seems like, you know, that's, that's now the entire nation of Israel is going to be punished because of that, uh, because of that massacre there. But... There's, I don't think that's the bloodshed that he's referencing here. So there's, there's more to the story. Joram, this is Ahab's son, he was recovering from, from some wounds that he had incurred in a battle defending against the Syrians. And, uh, and Ahaziah, who is the king of Judah, remember the southern kingdom of, uh, of, of Israel, he's the king of Judah from, from the royal line of David. Ahaziah has gone to um, to Jezreel. Actually, I can't remember now if he was in Jezreel or Samaria. One of the two cities, but they're very close together and the valley of Jezreel is in between them. So he was there recovering from his wounds. Ahaziah went to go and visit him. He 
he went to go and, and, and see how he was doing. And that's when Jehu showed up and, uh, in, to assassinate the Joram, the son of, of Ahab. So both kings then went to meet him, Ahaziah and Joram, together went to, to meet him. Jehu first shot Joram and, and killed him. But then as Ahaziah turned and, and fled, realized what was happening, he turned and fled. And Jehu also shot Ahaziah and, um, and killed him as well. So he shot and killed the king of the royal lineage of David. But then it gets, it, it gets even worse from there because then Ahaziah's brothers, they came looking for Ahaziah and he had 42 brothers. So, um, so there's quite a group of them that, that uh, come and they come looking for Ahaziah. Where is he? And Jehu then assassinates, uh, captures and then assassinates all 42 of, these, um, of this, this dynasty or this, this generation essentially in the royal line of David. So um, I believe I think my, I think I think that is what the, the bloodshed that he's talking about here is, is what he's referencing. The fact that he destroyed an entire generation in the Davidic um, dynasty when he killed Ahaziah and all his brothers. Jehu was uh, was a was a, a wretch of a man. He was um, he also he also there was a, he did a great massacre of his own people by tricking them into thinking that they were going to hold a big worship service for Baal. He said, he said, Ahab served Baal a little bit. Jehu's going to serve him much. And he said, everybody come. Let's have a big, a big worship service for Baal. And then, he, and then very deceitfully, he destroyed um, a, a, a huge amount of his own people. So, so whatever bloodshed this is referring to here, maybe it's all of it together. What's going to happen, God says here, because of this, I'm going to avenge this, uh, this blood not only on the dynasty, not only is he just going to bring an end to it, uh, Jeroboam II, his son was uh, Zechariah, who was the last there. He reigned for uh, half a year or so and then was assassinated, and that was the end of the dynasty there. But not only on the dynasty, but on all of Israel, it says here, all of Israel. And that's important for us to, to think back to our covenant diagram that we had on the whiteboard. Remember the circles? In each of those circles, we always had a head, a representative. We call it a federal head is the language for that. A representative in the covenant. And I showed you in that Mosaic covenantal arrangement, Israel's representative, Israel's a nation, their representative was the king at the time. And the king represented the people. And it was as the, the result of the king's actions that would always lead the people astray lead the people into sin as well. They were never innocent. That's not uh, what's going on here at all. But collectively, they were all lawbreakers there. But it was the king who always led them astray. The king is that representative um, for, for then the reason why God is going to destroy Israel as a nation. We find the, very, the same thing in that covenant of works arrangement. Remember Adam as the first, uh, the first man made in the image of God. He, he becomes the representative for all of mankind. Romans chapter 5 is very, very clear about that, as is 1 Corinthians 15. Through one man's sin, death entered the world, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and then all died because all sinned. So the, the, original, the original reason there's sin is from the one man, but yet everyone, and everyone is, becomes uh, guilty of that. In a sense, we all have that original sin, but yet, we all have our own sin as well. We're all guilty. So, so none of us here, no, no human being in the, in the, 
in the history of the world will ever go and suffer in hell for the, punish, for the sin of Adam. Because everybody has their own sin that they're suffering for. But the idea of a covenantal representative is what we find here. Well, in, now, let's take that and remember in the diagram, we had the, the other circle. There was a transfer uh, across, made possible to have a new representative. So just as, as Paul says, just as one through one man, sin entered the world, just through one man's disobedience, many were, were became unrighteous. Let me just find this here. <clears throat> um, for, for one man's offense, death reigned through the one. But, but, and through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made or constituted sinners or became sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the new representative. And now because of his righteousness, because of his obedience, his obedience to the law of God, his upholding the terms of the covenant, him also fulfilling the curse of the covenant, thereby those who are now represented by Christ as their head, they have access to, uh, to the Father. They have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is... Uh, that's important for us to, to, to remember this and to understand this. We, we think here, well, why it's not, doesn't it seem fair that, that Israel, all of Israel would, would have to, to be exiled because of the sin of, of Jehu. Well, it's the represent, representation that, and, the direct, and, the, and then the leading to the, the sin of all of the, the nation as a whole for which they will all be punished. They will be cut off as a nation. No longer will they be the people of God, no longer will they be a political nation. It says here at the end of verse 5, that he's going to break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And just the fact that they're no longer going to be a structured nation with, with military might and independence. They're going to be broken and, uh, and, and that because they had broken the covenant. They had, they had broken that covenant and the curse would be enacted. They, would go, they were going to be exiled. They were going to be cast out from God's presence from the land there and from dwelling with their God. And that's what the name Jezreel means in the Hebrew. It's that, this is an important uh, word to, for us to understand as well. Jezreel, it means God will sow, as in sowing seeds, or God will scatter. So we can, um, we, the same idea, but we're going to see Je the word Jezreel being used in two different ways in here. First, it's going to be used in a negative way. A negative way in the sense of God scattering his seed, scattering his people, casting them out, scattering them into the nations. God will sow, indicating it's the negative way, indicating judgment. But then we're going to see at the end of the chapter and later on in the book as we go through, Jezreel now being used in a positive way where God will, um, in the concept of God sowing or God planting, where he's going to plant his people back in the land, and, um, and, and they, will grow, uh, they will grow and flourish in the, uh, in the promised land. There, you can see at the very end of verse 11, great will be the day of Jezreel, that day when God, when God plants his people back in the land. So here, go in verse 4, it's being used in a negative way. Jezreel, God will sow, God will scatter, God will scatter his seed, um, his people, out of the land into the, nation, into the other nations to whom they 
they, whose gods they worshipped and whose gods they went after. But let's keep going. Verse 6. Um, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. So this is where the marriage breaks down. This is where no longer does it, does it say she didn't, she didn't bear him a daughter. She conceived and bore uh, a daughter. And given the context here, given the children's names, given the, given the covenantal arrangements that this is typifying here, we can deduct these are not Hosea's children. She has left him. She's gone after another lover. She's broken the terms of the marriage covenant, just like Israel broke the terms of their covenant with God. And then God says uh, to Hosea, this is what you need to name this child. Lo Ruhama. No mercy. It means no pity, no care, no compassion. This is the this is when 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 it says pity here, this is not um, or, or no mercy. This is not so much a uh, feeling sorry for. God's no longer going to feel sorry for um, for his people here. This is the the idea here is this is the is the loving compassion, the nurture and the cherishing. Um, you know that Ephesians five talks about that a husband needs to have for his wife. This is this is what's uh, what he's talking about here: the the love, the compassion, the nurture there. And God says, "I'm no longer going to have this mercy on you. No longer going to have this compassion, this nurture for these children. He's going to enact the curse of the covenant. The covenant covenant was broken by them, and now he." He has every right to cut them off. And he's going to do that. He says, I will, I will utterly take them away. At the end of verse 6, uh, the NASB says, I will no longer have compassion on them that I would ever forgive them. Now, it's, this, is, this is interesting here. In the Hebrew, it says, literally, I will, I will surely lift up upon them. He uses the word to lift up. I will surely lift up upon them. Now, this word translated elsewhere in, in, the, in the Old Testament is used uh, with the indication of carrying out an oath, carrying out a, a vow of some sort. That when we talk about you know lifting up, or it doesn't, doesn't usually doesn't say lifting up vows, but performing vows, those types of things, the idea of the same word, lifting them up. So God is going to carry out um, an oath. He's going to carry out a promise, which was the, the punishment for breaking the law. God is most certainly, he says, I'm surely, surely I'm going to carry out this, this, uh, this curse here. But there's an interesting, another interesting connection in this verse to Genesis 2, verse 17. On the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, I don't want to bore you with Hebrew grammar here, but the, the way that this, it's a very unique way of writing out, uh, making a statement and it is exactly parallel um, in, in structure, this verse to that of the Hebrew of Genesis 2, 17. And that was the curse for the covenant of, of works. When Adam, if you broke that covenant, God says, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And, uh, and here, the, the parallel of that, I will surely carry out this curse on you. Now this is in the this is in the, the, the future tense, so this is going to this is going to happen. But yet, but yet, like I said, sorry. Now I'm boring you with, with Hebrew grammar, which I wasn't going to do. But that is um, that is there's a very interesting connection here. God saying, "I will surely cut you off. Surely you will be exiled. You will no longer be my people." And that's what the next child 
indicates in for us in verse 8 and 9. We, first, let's uh, look at verse 7, though, before we get to verse 8. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. I will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, or battle, by horses, or horsemen. So Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah is, is spared up to this point. God is going to protect them from the advances of the Assyrians, whereas he's not going to do so. He's removed that protection, and that nourishing, and that cherishing from, from the northern kingdom, and Assyria is going to come, and they're going to wipe them out. But he says, I'm still going to protect Judah. I'm still going to have mercy on them. I'm still going to watch over them and protect them as my, as my people, my bride, for the southern kingdom at this point. And God says that it's not going to be some, some you know, uh, military uh, way that they're going to save themselves. It's going to be divine protection. Yahweh, their God, is going to protect them. And, this, and, and in 2 Kings chapter 19 is where we actually find this, uh, this the story of what takes place here. The angel of the Lord, the, the Assyrians are camped against the city and they're, they're trying to overthrow Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord went out, it says, and, and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. So the angel of the Lord miraculously killed 185,000 of the Assyrians. And then because of that, Sennacherib, who was at that time was the king of Assyria, he departed and went away, it says. And what he did, he went home and he went into the temple of his god, Nisroch. And when he was there, his two sons came and assassinated him in that temple. So God spared Judah through, in this miraculous way at that point. Now, Judah continues to break the covenant and we'll, we, we even see the warnings later on in Hosea, and they will eventually too be cut off. But there's, there's lessons to be learned um, from this. We'll look at that in, in briefly in a moment. Now let's, continue, let's just continue to look at this relationship with Israel here, this, the northern kingdom and their God. So verse 8, When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son, and God said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. And I will not be your God. So Gomer continues to live in her harlotry after after Lo Ruhama is born. She continues in this harlotry, and once she's weaned, Lo Ruhama, she becomes pregnant again. She conceives again because of this. And this time she has a son. God says, name him Lo Ami, not my people. That's what Lo Ami means in the Hebrew. So let's just just let's just think of this for for a moment. Imagine the the hurt for Hosea. He had married this woman, Gomer. He had he 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 brought her into his house, into his his household to dwell with her, and she would dwell with him. And he loved her. He nurtured her. He he protected her. And all she had to do was to be faithful to that marriage covenant. She had to submit to that love, that protection of her husband, and be and be faithful to him. And but instead, what did she do? She went after other lovers, other other um, other men, and she told herself, "These these men, they truly love me. They they truly um, care for me. They're truly protecting me and and providing for me. They they they're giving me all the wine and grain and oil that we find in." In chapter two, you know, these are the ones who are who are actually protecting me. And she went after these men, and. And um, rather than intimately knowing Hosea, her husband, she becomes intimate 
in with, with these other lovers and becomes pregnant. She comes home and, and says, Hosea, I'm pregnant with, with you know, someone else's child. So, and, and again, think of this. He's, he's cared for this woman. He's provided for her. She went and did this to hurt for that. And Hosea names the child no mercy. This is a warning to Gomer. I, I, I will not have mercy on you because of your infidelity. You're no longer, you, you're not going to be my wife. And she comes home again, and later, a couple of years later, she says, I'm pregnant again. And Hosea says, not my people, not my child. You know, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to divorce you and your children. I'm no longer going to protect you, no longer going to care for you. The ones who you went to in your harlotry, and, uh, you know, the, and, and you're, you'll realize they don't truly love you. They don't, they don't truly care for you. They won't protect you. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we, we'll see um, next week. But, um, you know, they're going to use you. They're going to sell you. Sell you into the, into the sex trade for their own profit. And I won't be there to protect you. I won't be there. I have no compassion. You're not my people. You're going to bear the curse for covenant breaking, being cut off. And you can just imagine this taking place. And the Israelites um, seeing this happening between Hosea and Gomer. They would have known Hosea. They would have been, been observing this. And you can just imagine them talking about it back and forth. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about Gomer? She was, she was sleeping with, with other men. Now she's pregnant. A couple years later, oh, she's still doing it. She's pregnant again. And, and they would have been watching him. What is he going to do? What is, what is Hosea going to do with Gomer? He's, he said the first time, he says, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, to cut you off. And, and the children, now, you know, they're not my, not my people, not my children. So you can just imagine the, 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 this, this, how scandalous this was to them. And all, probably all the juicy gossip that would have been going on around Samaria and Jezreel. And they've been talking about this back and forth. And did you hear about that? And then Hosea says to them, yeah, but this is exactly what you've done to your God. You've done the, exactly the same thing. You've gone whoring after other gods. And uh, you went along with, uh, with these, you, you went to these other gods and you worshiped them and you trusted them and you thought they were going to save you. You went to, to Egypt and you thought Egypt was going to protect you and you went to, uh, to other places and you thought they were going to protect you and you worshiped their gods and, and you and all of your, all of your kings, Jehu and Jehoahaz, Joash, Jeroboam, those are the four in that, in that dynasty from Jehu, you've all, you've all, done this, You've, and you followed them. They went after other gods, you went right along behind them, you broke the covenant, you were unfaithful, now you are going to bear the curse for that. God is going to divorce you. He's going to cut you off. No longer are you, Israel, as, as, a, as a nation, going to have that compassion from Yahweh, your God, that protection, that nurture and care that God, God showed to his people. He's going to cut you off. He's going to leave you to the gods in whom you, you trusted, the gods to whom you sold yourself. And all those gods all, and their nations, they're going to turn against you. They're going to enslave you. You're going to be in bondage there because your relationship with Yahweh is severed. You no longer are you his bride. No longer is, is, is he uh, your husband. He says here, you are, you're not my people. You're not my bride. You're not, and, and I will not be yours. I will not be your God. 
when we go back to the covenant making ceremonies, both in Exodus and, and also in Deuteronomy, again, Deuteronomy 27, verse 9, it, Moses said to them when they entered into that covenant with God again, Moses said, This day you have become the people of Yahweh, and he is your God. That's, that's essentially what, a, what a, uh, the officiant at a wedding says. You know, you've, you know I, I present to you, Mr. and Mrs., you have become, you have become his, he has become yours. That's what Moses says there. But now, because of this unfaithfulness, that relationship is over. So again, as I said at the beginning, we don't want to sit here and look at Israel and point fingers at Israel, point fingers at Gomer, like Israel was probably doing. We need to see that this applies to every single one of us. We are all like Gomer. We are all like Israel. God created us in his own image. His, his bride, essentially, so to speak. And we would dwell with him in, in paradise. All we had to do was remain faithful to that covenant. We were created with the knowledge of God, the knowledge of right and wrong. We knew what we had to do to remain faithful to the covenant. But we went after other gods. We believed the lie that Satan that Satan said to, to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. God doesn't truly love you. He doesn't truly, he doesn't truly want your best. He doesn't truly care for you and, 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 and love you that way. God's withholding something from you. That was the lie of Satan. Satan had the answer. He said, God's withholding something from you, but I have the answer. Eat of this fruit. Violate this law. That's what it means to eat of the fruit of the tree. Violate this law. Sin. Just try it. God knows. God knows you're not surely going to die. You won't surely die. He says he's withholding something from you. Listen to me. My words. No, not God's words. Just try it. Just sin. Break this law. It's so good. It, it, it's, it's something so much better than, than what God has. God is withholding this from you. Withholding that. So we submitted to that. Rather than to God. Every single one of us violated that covenant relationship. Engaged in sin. Did not live according to the knowledge of God. But went after something else thinking that it was going to be so much better, thinking it was going to offer us some sort of satisfaction, some sort of, some something's better that God was withholding from us. And just like, just, just like Gomer's illicit lovers, just like Israel's foreign gods, Satan did not have our best interest in mind. Satan he, he wanted to use us. He wanted to enslave us. He wanted to, to us to serve him so, and to propagate wickedness um, on, on the earth. We become slaves of Satan. We are now pawns in his game, slaves under this taskmaster of sin. No longer under the compassion and the care of, of our creator, God, who, who created us and who entered into that relationship with us, cut off. Exiled, exiled out of the garden, out of his presence, and no more dwelling with him. That's where we, we were. Every single human being, born in Adam, born naturally as a descendant of Adam, born in that same way, guilty, just as Adam was. We've all sinned. We've all believed the lie of the devil, that, that violating that covenant, that engaging in sin, is actually is, is good for us. So we want to try that instead. Every one of us has sinned. Everyone, therefore, cut off 
But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God, Genesis chapter 2, God said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You will, you will surely be cut off from me. And that, that is what happened. But yet, they weren't immediately extinguished and, and, and death. There was a promise given. There was a Genesis 3, verse 15, that the, there one day would come the seed of the woman who would provide this way for which we could now, we could, there could be, we had entered into um, amity, which is, this is, this is the language that um, uh, Sam Renahan uses here. We, we had entered into amity, which is friendship, and, with, and into this union with Satan. But God says, there's one day there's going to come this one who will again put enmity there, who, who will take you out of that kingdom and, and, and bring you into a different kingdom, God's kingdom. He's going to, he's going to provide that way that, uh, of, of restoration. And in so doing, he's going to crush the head of that serpent, Genesis 3, verse 15. Well, we have that same promise here in Hosea, not all the same details, but at least the same the same promise of restoration uh, in verse 10. Yet, so he's just said, I'm going to, you call, Hosea call this boy low amity because you are low amity. You are not my people. I will not be your God. Verse 10. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, Lo, Ami, not my people, it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. What a sudden change, what a sudden difference. They've just been told they're going to be exiled and divorced. They're going to be cut off, separated. But God says there's, there is hope. Yes, you're going to be cut off, but he's going to restore his bride. He's going to restore this kingdom. He's going to make it so big. In such a glorious kingdom that you, it can't be measured, it can't be counted. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an incredible restoration there. Not my people. Now, he's going to say to them, sons of the living God. Literally, it says, sons of the God of life. You will become sons of the God of life. The God who gave you life. Now, for Israel, politically, as a nation, gave you life as a nation. The God who you turned your back on and, and, and went and served other gods, and you were exiled to serve these gods because the divorced, exiled, God's going to take you back now. He's going to restore you. He's going to bring you back and give you, bring you life again as a, as a nation. The king and all the children restored to life with God in the promised land. And in verse 11, he says here that the, the children of Judah and the children of Israel will be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So we have, he's again now referencing the kingdom of Judah and the, um, and, 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 and the kingdom of Israel. They're going to come together as one. I'm not going to get into that in too much detail now, the reason for that, but it's basically these, the two kingdoms here is teaching us, the two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, teaches us that there, there is a, for a time, God, is, God has dealt differently with two different people groups, but that they are going to be united as one people of God. Just like in the Old Testament, God dealt differently with the Jews 
on a political level as he did with the, uh, with the Gentiles, the rest of the nations, but in the new covenant, in this restored, restored um, kingdom of God's, you know, the new covenant that this is pointing to, God's true people, there's, there's no distinction. Everybody comes together as one. There's no, there's no middle wall of separation, to use Paul's language. There's no two peoples of God. There's one united people of God with one purpose to be that kingdom of God that, God, that dwells with God for all of eternity in, as I said earlier, in this glorious Eden-like new heavens, new earth, where we dwell with, excuse me, where we dwell with our God. Now, we'll, we'll look at this king, who this king is in a moment, but, but it says at the end here, first, it says, they shall come up out of the land, and great will be the day of Jezreel. Remember what Jezreel meant, God will sow. Now, this is referring to it in a positive way. God, God planting his people, God sowing his people in the land. First, he was going to scatter them, like a farmer scatters his, scatters his seeds. They will be scattered among the nations. Now, Jezreel, it's not, no longer, it's not, the idea is not, the imagery is not scattering, but on the seeding aspect of the word. Now, we see God planting them in, back in the soil of the promised land. And it says, and they will come up out of the land. That's the, that's the idea of growing, coming up out of the land. You plant a corn seed in the ground, the corn comes up out of the land. That's the idea here. They're going to come up out of the land. They're going to grow. It's going to be a very prosperous, fruitful kingdom. Isaiah 61 says the same thing. Verse 3, Isaiah is prophesying of this restoration. And he says, they're going to be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So that's the idea here of, of, uh, of Israel returned and, and growing as a nation in the, in the land, in this restored kingdom. And it says here, they have for themselves one head, one king or one representative here. They will appoint for themselves one king. Turn to, uh, turn to Ezekiel for a moment. That's the um, two books previous. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 22 and following. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. So now God is referring to them as a as a as a flock, not not as the the, the analogy changes or is different that Ezekiel is using here of, of, of a shepherd and a, and his sheep, whereas in Hosea it's a husband and and his bride. But yet let's see here. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he will feed them. My servant David, he will feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord will be their God, and my servant David, a prince, or a head, is the same word, among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them. Now, we know that God used, uh, used Cyrus to restore Israel uh, back to their promised land. And, they, and there they, re they rebuilt the temple and so that, with the idea that God would dwell with them. But we never read about such a, a, a glorious kingdom like this in the, in the Bible, that Israel was restored back to a, a, essentially a Solomon-like reign of, of, of such an incredible, of an incredible, prosperous and glorious kingdom with such an amazing and glorious 
uh, temple where God dwelt with his people. See, Israel was redeemed from exile, and they were brought back. Some of them, a remnant, were brought back to the promised land, but it almost seems like a letdown in the Bible. When we, we, we read these promises, and then we, we think, well, it's kind of, it didn't really... It didn't really happen. This temple, remember when they rebuilt the temple, the people that were old enough to remember Solomon's temple, they were crying because they said, this, not, this thing is nothing like the temple that Solomon had. And they were, they were very, they were upset. It was, a, it was a letdown. And why is that? Is that because God is not true to his promises? You know, God kind of half-heartedly restored them? Or is this because... God still has this in store for Israel, that one day they're going to have this incredible kingdom as a political nation. If we were dispensational, we would say, yeah, that's what that means. It means that one day there's going to be this amazing kingdom for political Israel. If we were Jews, we would say the same thing. We would say, yes, come, come, Messiah, come, son of David. We're waiting for you to, to give us this incredible kingdom. But... That's not why, that's not what we're waiting for. God, God does this. He fulfills this on a, on a level that, yes, it takes place where they are restored back to the land. But as I said, it's a, it seems like a letdown because the purpose is to point us to the true fulfillment of, this, um, of these promises here. As Hebrews says, this, this restoration was just a shadow of the good things that are to come yet. The Bible explicitly tells us that this promise, in fact, in 1 Peter, he uses this verse to directly tell us that, um, that this is fulfilled in the church of Christ. You can turn there, 1 Peter chapter 2, for a moment. This is, this is, is ultimately fulfilled to its truest glory in 1 Peter, uh, in the church, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, the church which is the kingdom of of uh, the true kingdom of God, the true Israel of God. Verse, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, so this is faith in Christ, is the determining factor for who belongs to this kingdom. To you who believe, he is, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner stone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient, to the word to which they were also appointed, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, that's Old Testament language that was used to describe Israel on a political level, but now he's he's applying it to the church. He's saying, You are that chosen nation, you're the true fulfillment of this. You are what that was all pointing to. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. Who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For, listen, you once were not a people, lo, ami, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, lo, ruhama, no mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So, yes, back to Hosea. This, verse 10 and 11 here. Yes, it, was, it, it indicates for Gomer that... He gives her the hope that one day her relationship with Hosea would be restored as she now faces the threat of divorce. It gives, it gives hope for Israel that one day, that as a political nation, they would, they would be able to return to their promised land, which we know they, excuse me, they did <clears throat> after being exiled. But ultimately, it gives 
it gives us that that true lasting hope that we too can be reconciled with God that there is that that there is that way of salvation we have all as I said many times we have all been as unfaithful as Gomer was to Hosea we have been that unfaithful to our God we have broken his laws and we were therefore cut off but there is a way of reconciliation through that new head that one head who, who is referred to alluded to typified here in verse 11 that one new head new representative Jesus this the, he's the son of David he fulfills that promise he's the he's the great shepherd of his sheep just like Ezekiel talked about there, he's the Son of God, and because of that, we too can be called children of the living God, children of the God of life through him. Therefore, we can have eternal life with our Creator. That is the only way of reconciliation through that new head, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way to eternal life. Faith in Christ, trusting in Him, that gives you, then you become represented by Him. Then you are no longer represented by, by Adam. For Israel, you know, they were, no, they were no longer represented by these kings that, for which, you know, they were cast out. They have a new head, a new king. Well, that's our Lord Jesus Christ for us. We, our new king, new head, who represents us before God. And therefore, because of that, the relationship is restored and we're headed for eternal life in glory. What a what a what a wonder, what a what a comfort that is. And he says here, Great is the day of Jezreel. We can rejoice in that. Great we can rejoice. Jezreel, God is sowing, God is growing, he's planting and raising up the kingdom for himself. And he's still doing that. He's still He's still building his kingdom. Christ is currently ruling and reigning and, and building his kingdom, advancing on the gates of Hades, calling more and more out of, out of exile, out of darkness, into his kingdom as he builds this kingdom that, and, and they're, they're, he's planting and they're coming up and the kingdom is growing. And we belong to that kingdom. Whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to this kingdom of the God of life and has eternal life in him. May that encourage us to press on for his glory as we go through this life as we're bound for the promised land and the consummation of this all right now we are as it were betrothed to god but the consummation it comes when we see him face to face and we enter into his kingdom into his his household his dwelling and live with him for 